Well, if you would, please open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. We are continuing today in our series on the book of Hebrews, a series entitled, Jesus is Better. I was thinking recently that it wasn't very long ago when we used to use things like cars and phones and watches and the relationship with the item stopped at that moment when we were done using it. But with these developments recently in the internet and smartphone and technology, now we are actually known by the things we use. For instance, your location right now is known. If you have a smartwatch on your wrist, your vital signs are known. Our activity is known. One day I'm shopping for something on one part of the internet and another day I'm getting ads for the shopping that I was just doing on that part of the internet. Our well-being is known. A recent update with a device, with a phone, knows that you're in a car crash and can uh, dispatch emergency help to your location. For many of us, your face is known. Your fingerprint is known. Now we can, you know, there's privacy settings where we can adjust what about us is known. But the point is, like never before, we are known. And in our passage this morning, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, we're introduced to the nature and the power of God's Word. The God who created us, the God who sent His Son to save sinners like us, He knows us to the core. In fact, He knows us better than our devices, more intimately than the internet, even better than we know ourselves. God's Word is able to expose our deepest hopes and desires and longings, and it's able to call us to account before the Lord. The Bible is not just a book. God's Word is as alive as God Himself. Martin Luther put it this way, he said, the Bible is alive, it speaks to me. It has feet, it runs after me. It has hands, it lays hold of me. God tells us about His living and active Word so that we might see our need for Christ and draw near to Christ. So, if you have your Bible open to Hebrews chapter 4 this morning, I'm going to read our passages, verses 12 and 13, but I'm going to read starting in verse 11 for context. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, 
and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Let's pray and invite the Lord's help this morning. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for our time yesterday evening as a church at the bonfire. What a wonderful, wonderful time in in the life of our church for us to be together. We thank You for that. And we thank You for holding off the rain so we could enjoy that. And we thank You for the rain now. Lord, our world is such in need of Your provision in this way. Thank You for those little mercies We praise You. We pray this morning, Lord, as we come to You, Lord, that we would be able to hear Your Word in the Spirit in which You've given it. Lord, some here this morning uh, are more aware of what they haven't done. More aware, Lord, of their need, of their failures. And I pray, Lord, this morning You would minister to every heart present. Lord, that there would be over all of us this awareness that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we would be able to receive the good news this morning. But Lord, there are others of us here that, like myself, I tend towards self-confidence. I I tend to give greater credence to what I do, and I need, Lord, we need Your Word to speak and to reveal and help us see, Lord, to, to receive the convicting work, and in all of this, Lord, to lead us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to see Him in all of His glory. Help us, Lord, not to to stop short in our need, but to come, to run to Christ. And so we pray for Your grace for that. We pray for Your help for that. We thank You, Lord, for Your good purposes that are at work. We just continue to lift up, Lord. I I think of the ladies that are meeting early for the, the Seeking Him study, Lord. Would You use this just in a foundational and fundamental way in the the lives of the women of our church, Lord, in their relationships with one another? Lord, we see You already doing that, but we pray You would do that all the more. Lord, we just continue to lift up those in our midst that are struggling, not doing well, sick, hurting, injured. We pray for healing, provision, comfort. Lord, we pray for our leaders in the land. We pray, Lord, for current and future leaders. Lord, we pray that these would be servants for Your sake. People that, that are seeking to bring about Your righteousness in our land. But Lord, help us when they don't. Help us in our attitudes to show them honor and respect. And Lord, we commit this time to You. Pray You would have Your way in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you recall from last week, if you've been following in our series, the writer of the book of Hebrews is making a comparison. He is comparing Old Testament, the wilderness generation of the people of Israel, with his recipients. 
His recipients are a small church facing increased persecution on account of their belief in Jesus. Both the wilderness generation and the recipients are tempted in the same way. They're tempted to turn back. Both were tempted to ignore God and His Word. And this was the case we looked at last Sunday in verses 1 through 11. The writer says, yeah, they're tempted to turn back and there's no rest in that. You turn away from the Lord, you have nowhere else to go. There's no refuge. So he says there's no rest in unbelief. But then we get to our passage here in verses 12 and 13. And the point that's being made is that we find rest in responding to the nature and power of God's Word. We find God's rest by responding to the nature and the power of God's Word. The best thing that any human being could ever experience is God's rest. That is brought into a a relationship of harmony, of peace, of eternal comfort, of God's presence. There's nothing better a human being could experience than that rest. We were created for this rest. Sin separates us from it. And yet God has made a way through the death of Jesus on the cross. And He calls it rest. We're all looking for it. But when the odds are against us, when it seems like it's hard to walk with the Lord, it can seem like, you know what, the better option here is to step back from Him to cut corners, to go soft on His Word, to lay low on our witness. But actually, He's telling us, no, 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 no. There's no rest in that. We find God's rest by responding to the nature and the power of His Word. So we want to consider the nature and power of His Word this morning I count six in our passage, six descriptors about the nature and power of God's Word. First, God's Word is living. You see this in verse 12. For the Word of God is living or alive. God's Word is preserved for us in a book. And we normally don't think of books as being alive. You know, we things that are alive are moving, growing, breathing, right? A book is, if anything, a book is a dead tree. And yet, this is what makes God's Word different than every other book that you and I could read. It is as alive as God Himself. That's what verse 12 is telling us. And we've already seen in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 3, verse 7, we've already seen a hint at this. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. The writer uses the present tense. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit said in the past, a thousand years ago. He says the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes something that was written a thousand years ago, Psalm 95. 
And his point is the Holy Spirit speaks today through what God has spoken. God's Word is active. It's dynamic. It's not static. And this is the testimony that we see throughout Scripture. In Deuteronomy 32, Moses says, Take to heart all the words by which I'm warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. And then here is what he says, For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. God's words are not empty, irrelevant. They haven't expired. It says here, they're applicable for every age. This is how God relates to His people. He relates to us by by His Word. You know, if I went to a bookstore and I bought a book about history, let's say from World War II, I could learn a lot of things from that book. I could even read in that book actual letters or things that were written at that time between people. I could even begin picturing myself being in one of those battles because the description is, is so vivid. But there's one major limit to me buying that book. I could never meet the actual people in it. I could learn a lot about them but I couldn't meet them. But that's the difference is because in God's Word, we actually meet with God. We, we actually get to know Him. So, so it doesn't work to say, oh, you know what? I'm not a big reader. I, I mean, that works with like history books and math textbooks. But it doesn't work here to say, oh, I meet God in other ways. Because no, God by His Word reveals Himself and communes with His people, the Word of God is living. It's alive. You know, there's a story from back in the day, uh, mid-1700s. George Whitfield was a famous preacher. He preached outdoors to crowds in the thousands, uh, both in England and then he came to America, preached all up and down from Georgia to the Northeast. And he would preach to these huge crowds, and eventually there became these, these guys that would mock him. They were called the Hellfire Club. And what they liked to do is they liked to act like they were George Whitfield preaching, but they would do it in a mocking way to make fun of him. And so one of these guys, one time there was a guy, and he was acting out one of George Whitfield's sermons, and in the middle of acting it out, he stops. And he sits down, and he's cut to the heart by what he's saying, and he repents of his sins, and he believes in Jesus Christ. He, f- he found rest. He found life. And here he is. He's, he's mocking. How, how is that possible? The Word of God is living. It doesn't ask for permission. It doesn't knock. It comes invading into our lives. And so we find rest by responding to God's living Word. Secondly, God's Word is also active. 
active. We see this also in verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active. Active. Some parents here, you may right now have active children. Or maybe you have had active children. We, we had active children. Active children are a force to be reckoned with. And God's Word being active means it is powerful. It is effective. It's capable. Michael Kruger puts it this way, the Word of God doesn't just say things, it does things. It is busy working, changing, building, convicting, encouraging, exposing, rebuking, giving light and wisdom, carving out the path of our lives and showing us the truth of God. God's Word is active every time it is heard or preached or read. Let me just ask you this morning, do you believe that God's Word is active? If I want more activity in God, of God, more of God's activity in my life, this is how He says I'm to get it. This is how He says for you. Do we believe that? You see, we don't want to read our Bibles to check off the box. Oh, I read my Bible today. No, we, we want God's activity, and this is how He promises His activity, by His Word coming into our lives. Do you want God's activity in your family? Open up and read. Allow God's activity into your life. Do you want lost people to encounter the living God? Well, let them hear from God Himself. This is His active Word. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, the Word of God can take care of itself. And we'll do so if we preach it and cease defending it. See that lion? See how a band of armed men have gathered around to protect the lion? These mighty men are intent on defending a lion. Oh, fools and slow of heart, open that door. Let the pure gospel go forth in all of its lion-like majesty, and it will soon clear its own way and ease itself of its adversaries. Oh, I love that quote. This is one I, it's carried with me for years. I've been served by this over and over again. God's Word is like a lion. Open the cage and let the lion out. His Word is active. Active in my life. Active in Crystal's life. Active in our lives. When I get together, I'm thinking, how can I get God's Word? How can I open the cage and let the line of God's Word come out and change us? God's Word is active. We also learn in verse 12 that God's Word is sharp. It is sharp. For the Word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword. So God's Word, it's not only sharp as a two-edged sword, it says sharper. You know, when something is dull, 
You have to use a lot of force. But when something is sharp, less force is necessary. So you could say it's sharp, it's, it's potent, it's effective. God's Word is the most potent tool in our world. So let me ask you, when you need help, where do you turn? What do you see as the most potent tool in your life? Or do we treat God's Word as like that thing that, ah, I don't know if it's going to help me that much. I thought about this. There's, I have, I, I mean, it's not out loud or I don't write it down anywhere, but I have a number of medicines that I've tried before. You know, an allergy medicine. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that one doesn't, that one doesn't help me. I take it, no effect. It's not potent. It's not effective. And, and therefore, when somebody says, hey, you should take that one, I go, ah, no. Do you think that way with God's Word? Eh, not very potent. It's on that category of things that doesn't work, that's irrelevant, that's dull to what's really going on in life. When I need help, I go to what? Or is it the most potent and effective tool? For life, for hearing God, for reviving us, coming to God's Word. Just as a two-edged sword has no blunt side to it, so God's Word has no blunt parts. Now, I'm sure you and I could go to parts of this, you'd say, you know, that's not as likable to me. But God's telling us, no, no, actually, you may not realize it, but there's no blunt parts to His Word. We're told as much in 2 Timothy 3 as well. It says, all Scripture, not some, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Nothing else, church, has this kind of effectiveness. There is no book you could get, no medicine you could take, no person you could meet with, no counselor, no TV program. Nothing else is breathed out by God and profitable for everything you need. All all of these God-given designs. It's God's Word. It's living. It's active. It is sharp. It's also piercing. Verse 12 again. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of of the heart. So this is not a, a shallow piercing here. This is a deep penetrating to the, the deepest parts of a person. That, that's the picture that we're given here. The most minute distinctions, soul and spirit, joints and marrow, thoughts and intentions. Listen, this is where the Word of God meets us. At the deep parts of us. 
When piercing is added to everything else we've seen before, we realize that the living, active, powerful, effective Word of God, it's able to meet us at the very core of who we are. It's able to change our hearts, which is where we need the change to happen. John Calvin put it this way, he said, there is nothing so hard or firm in a man, nothing so deeply hidden that the efficacy of the Word does not penetrate to it. And we all know we need help to the core of who we are, not just surface help. This morning we were praying for parents, and we know as parents we need help to the core of our children. I cannot come up with a list of do's and don'ts that's going to get to the core of my children. I can't drag, you and I can't drag a friend to see their need for Jesus that I just pester them enough or drag them enough. I don't have that kind of power. They need to be pierced by the Word to the core of who they are. One of the famous passages that often comes to mind about the nature of God's Word is Isaiah 55. And it may be familiar to you. Isaiah 55, 10 through 12. But there's a verse that comes after that I wonder if you've considered that verse. Isaiah 55, 10 says, 10 11 says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Yes and amen. God's Word does not return to Him void. God accomplishes what He desires by His Word. That's what those verses tell us. But consider verse 13. The Lord says, Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So God compares His Word to rain. But usually, rain does not change what it waters. But God's Word does. You see, if God's Word were just like rain, then if you water the thorn, what happens to the thorn? You get a wet thorn. You get a bigger thorn, a healthier thorn. Right? But that's not what He says. He says, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. God's Word not only waters, it changes the very nature of what it waters. Similarly, if God's Word was like rain, then you water the briar, what would you get? You'd get a wet briar, a healthy, robust briar that's not going away anytime soon. But that's not what it says. It says, instead of the briar will come up the myrtle tree. 
God's word doesn't just not return to him void. God's word changes the very nature of what it waters. At the core, at the root. His word is piercing. So the word of God, it's living. It's active. It's sharp. It's piercing. Another part of the nature of God's Word is it is discerning. Verse 12 ends with this phrase, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here, that that word discerning, it's linked to a word that's most commonly used for judging. God's Word reveals what's going on in our thoughts and in our hearts. It shows us who we really are. And this is, this is profound, church, because I don't know how well you think you know you, but God is saying, I know you better. Down to the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Able to help us see things that we weren't even aware we weren't seeing. Michael Kruger again, he writes, The Word of God is not just a way to get to know God, but also a way to get to know yourself. When you read the Bible and let it penetrate your heart, you will see things about yourself that you never saw before. You will see your real intentions, your real motives, and your real character. And in that sense, church, it discerns, it judges between the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And we know we need help with this. I mean, how many times have you been in a a situation where somebody says, why did you do that? And you say, I don't know. So yeah, I, I don't even know. I don't even know sometimes. Yeah, why did I say that? Why did I do that? God knows, and His Word is discerning, it's judging, it's it's convicting, it gives us insight. And this is all headed somewhere. The last feature of God's Word in this passage is that it is exposing. It's exposing. Verse 13, And no creature is hidden from His sight, But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Okay, the writer of the book of Hebrews, he's been stacking all of these features of God's Word, one on top of another, getting us to this final feature. God's Word does all that it does as living and active and sharp and piercing and discerning. It does all that it does to bring people to account before God. To help us see we cannot hide before Him. There's a transition in verse 12 to verse 13. Verse 12, it's talking about God's Word. The Word of God is like this. And then in verse 13, it's no longer talking about God's Word. It's talking about God Himself. It talks about God's eyes and God's sight and the one before whom we must give account. We're exposed before God. 
And when it says, it uses that word exposed, that, that word was a word that was commonly used for wrestling. If we have any wrestlers here this morning. It was used for wrestling to talk about a certain grip, a wrestler being gripped by the neck and being thrown down. So it's talking about being pinned, being in a vulnerable, helpless position. And so he says, just as a wrestler would, would be pinned and helpless, so that's what God's Word does to us. All of it's piercing, going to the core. We've got nowhere to hide. We've got nowhere to move. There's no wiggle room. Pinned. You might be really good at hiding things from your boss. Or hiding things from your spouse or your parents or a friend. This, this verse tells us you are fooling yourself if you think you're hiding from God. Exposed. Pinned before the one before whom we must give account. Now, why would God tell us all of this about His Word and make us feel helpless? Like, that's not going to boost our little egos. Well, consider the audience here. The wilderness generation of Israel, they stood on the cusp of the promised land and they chose to go against God's Word. They chose unbelief. They felt helpless before the giants of the land. And in avoiding the giants, they turned from trusting the Lord. You see, they should have felt helpless before God and fled to God and not away from Him. And in a similar way, the recipients of the book of Hebrews, they're facing increased difficulty for their faith. They're tempted based on what they're seeing. I mean, their friends are going off to jail that were previously sitting next to them in church. They were having their homes raided by authorities. They're feeling helped, uh, helpless. They're feeling, you know, just exposed before the land and the authorities. And in avoiding persecution, they're tempted to turn back from the Lord rather than run to Him. You see, when God is the one church that we fear the most and that we feel the most helpless before, He's the one we'll flee to. Flee to Him rather than away from Him. When God is the most powerful one in our eyes, We'll submit to Him. We'll find rest in Him rather than trying to find rest in another way. You see, that, that's what's going on in our lives, church. When we find ourselves in a difficult moment, we're looking for rest, and we can say, well, I just don't see it in responding to God. I don't see obedience to God as giving me rest. That feels like that's going to just lead me off a cliff. That's not going to go well for me. If I'm, a, you know, if I'm a young man looking for a young woman and I want to marry somebody, you know, it's, it's just not shaping up right now the way I hoped it would be. And so that young man begins to make compromises and says, you know, it doesn't really seem like following the Lord's going to go well for me. And time is ticking. It's easy to go away from the Lord in that moment rather than to the Lord. 
See, the point being made in these verses is we find rest by responding to the nature and the power of God's Word. And right after our passage, after our passage concludes in verse 13 and the rest of Hebrews 4, this is where Hebrews 4 is taking us. If we feel helpless, we have a helper. And that's the point. We'll run to Him when we realize we need Him. Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one that we're invited in the very next verses to draw near to. It says in verse 14 through 16, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one in who, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the God who knows us, the God who sees us, the God who has us pinned has sent His Son to help us. We are exposed and He sends His Son, Jesus, to live that perfectly obedient life that you and I could not live. To live that in our place. The Father sent His Son with the very mission of dying on the cross. For the sins, the sins of our thoughts, the sins of our speech, the sins of our actions, the things we failed to do that we ought to have done, Jesus died as a substitute bearing God's wrath. And He rose victoriously from the grave and He brings newness of life. And so in our helplessness, we have a helper, a high priest. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is good, church, it is good for us to to feel God's Word pressing in on us and us saying, I've got nowhere to run. I've got nowhere to hide. I've got nowhere else to flee for rest. That's a good feeling as long as it leads us to Jesus for the help we need. You know, when we're reading God's Word and the scap the scalpel begins to cut and we're seeing things about ourselves that we hadn't seen before, it could be discouraging, disheartening. You begin to go, oh, man, I I have messed up. I am failure. And condemnation can loom very close unless we run to Jesus. And we say, "Oh, oh, no, I actually have a high priest. And He has done everything I've needed to represent me before God. I can can find forgiveness in Him. I find power to change in Him. You see, rest is not found in saying, eh, it's not that big of a deal. It's not found in covering it up. It's not found in saying, you know what? I think my life would be better without the Lord. It'd be easier. I wouldn't be feeling so guilty all the time. All of that is meant to lead us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Rest is found in turning to Him 
and in turning to Him alone. I can invite the worship team to return. We find God's rest by responding to the nature and power of God's Word. And God's Word is living. It's not dead. It's not outdated. It's living. It's an active Word. It's accomplishing God's purposes even now. Will we open it? Will we invite God's activity into our lives? You see, I'm not going to have you go out from here and say, hey, you should read your Bible more. No. I'm saying, boy, I want more activity of God in my life. How about you? Let's invite His activity. This is His promised activity. It's a sharp word. It's the most potent medicine. It's the most effective tool in the world. It's a piercing word. It goes to the core of our being. It's discerning. It helps us know ourselves better because it goes to the level of thoughts and desires. It's an exposing word. God pins us. We're helpless that we might turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Him rather than away from Him. And so I I hope we can find this true ourselves, church. You, You know this, many of you. But to be refreshed that God's Word doesn't say things like Michael Kruger said. It does things. And so let's invite the Lord to do His work by reading it and singing it and memorizing it and continuing to attend to it preached and taught. Let, Let us open God's Word again and again. And like letting a lion out of the cage, we just allow God's Word to have its effect. And it's so that in our struggles, in our difficulties, we wouldn't turn away from the Lord, but rather turn to the Lord together. Let's pray. Well, Lord, to feel helpless is usually a bad thing. But when we know that Yours is a throne of grace and we're able to find mercy and grace and help in our time of need. That, that's a good thing. And I pray, Lord, for us as a church, there would be more of that reliance upon You, less of that reliance on ourselves and say, oh, I want to come. I want to come to the Lord. Come to His wisdom. Come to His, act, his activity. Come and receive from Him. See His activity in my life. See His activity in my marriage. See His activity in our family. Let the lion out of the cage. And Lord, I pray for any here today that has a a very distant relationship with Your Word. I pray, Lord, You would surprise us. I, I pray even this week, Lord, there would be just fresh encounters with you, the living God, where they say, I'm getting to know God like I've never gotten to know Him before. I pray there'd be fresh moments where they'd say, I'm getting to see myself like I've never seen myself before, Lord, that Your Word is imparting that because it's living and active. And we 
We praise you, Lord. We can't drum that up. We can't make that happen. There's plenty of times, Lord, the seed of your word is sown and it's snatched. We know that. But I pray, Lord, you would just continue to surprise us and refresh us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.